0: Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Eight weeks ago, we stopped underestimating the threat posed by the coronavirus. As we begin to reemerge, let us act wisely, as he leads, and not fearfully. Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series Fear Not, Trusting Christ in the Midst of Crisis, with this sermon entitled Jesus is Our Shepherd, which covers Psalm 23 and John chapter 10, verse 11. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Let me pray for us. We'll continue in our series that we're calling Fear Not. And uh, I'm excited about where the Lord's leading us this morning. I think it's a significant, significant topic. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Would you speak to us now, would you open our hearts and our eyes to hear what you would have us hear, to see what you would have us see, and oh Jesus, that we would see our need for you, and your beauty is our great and good shepherd. So we give this time to you, Lord, would you bless it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, back in the day, and we're going way back in the day, uh, I was a decent basketball player, had a decent high school career. I ended up going to the University of Alabama just as a regular student. No athletic scholarship there by any means. But I always had this thought in the back of my mind. I always thought, I wonder if I could have played in college. Had a couple of offers on the side that didn't work out, but the point is, I sound like that guy, yeah, but I you know had a, I blew out my knee, I had some offers, but blew out me. I had a had an opportunity here and there, but the the biggest thing was, I, in my mind, I had, this, I had this idea of myself that wasn't very realistic. And I realized that one day when I had become really good friends with one of the guys on Alabama's basketball team. And one summer, I don't remember what summer it was in college, he called me up and he said, uh, he said, Jeff, would you want to come and scrimmage with us? The, the freshmen had not come in yet. The outgoing seniors had already left. They had nine guys and they had these volunteer workouts and scrimmages. And he said, would you be our 10th? And I said, absolutely, I'll be your 10th. And so I go to um, the Coliseum there on campus and go down to one of the, the practice gyms and I'm thinking in my head, this is when I am gonna be able to see if I can hang with these guys. So we scrimmaged and it did not go well. I, uh, I didn't get one shot off. I felt as though my feet were in concrete Uh, The guy that was guarding me smothered me. The guy that then when, uh, when I was guarding him just drove right past me whenever he wanted to. I was completely out of my league. And one of the things that I realized, and I don't know that I would have put these words to it at the time, but as I look back on it now, I realized something. I realized that I had greatly overestimated who I was. And I had greatly underestimated who they were as basketball players. It was an eye-opening, shocking experience for me because I love my alma mater, but we're not talking Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina here. We're talking Alabama, and I couldn't hang with them. I had severely underestimated who they were, overestimating who I was. I got to thinking about that. I've thought about this a number of times over the years, and I thought. Uh, as a pastor often does, we often think constantly in spiritual analogies. And I've thought, how might that be true, even spiritually? And one of the things that I've noticed in my habits with the Lord, in the spiritual realm, is I, I am pretty good at overestimating who I am and underestimating who he is. Let me put it to you this way. One of the analogies that God uses over and over again in Scripture about him and his people is that he is the shepherd and his people are the sheep. And what I see happening in my heart, maybe you resonate with this, is that oftentimes I don't like that. And I begin to to overestimate who I am and I begin to function as though I'm the shepherd. I wanna lead, I wanna be in, in charge, I wanna be able to decipher what's best for me in my life. Again, we constantly go back to Genesis three. This is part of what was play, in play in the garden with Adam and Eve, wanting to be in control, wanting to be the shepherd, rejecting the rule and the reign and the good leading of the true shepherd and not recognizing who we are as the sheep. The Bible uses all kinds of metaphors and analogies to help us see who we are and who he is. He is the potter, we are the clay. He is the creator, we are the created. He is the king, we are the servants. He is the shepherd, we are the sheep. You may hear this and you may go, wow, well this is discouraging in terms of, is Jeff trying trying to help us to just think badly of ourselves, I want you to stay with me to the end of the sermon because you'll understand that's not at all what I'm trying to say, but there's actually great rest and beauty in understanding who we are as the sheep. And I could go into great length of explaining to you what sheep are like, that they're dumb and they stray and they wander and all these things. I think you probably can get that on your own. But we struggle. We struggle with remembering that he's the shepherd and we're the sheep. And when you think about who he is, it's overwhelming that you have this this God who is the the creator and sustainer of you and me and of all creation. He's the king who reigns over all things. He sees all things. He knows all things. He ordains all things. He upholds all things. He's the one who Uh, numbers every star in the sky and knows them by name and he's the one who numbers every hair on our heads this all-knowing all-powerful all-sufficient God is our near and present and intimate shepherd and that's good news for us this morning as we consider us, how we can be a fearful people as sheep, we need a shepherd. We need someone who is far beyond us to do what only he can do in our lives. And so when we think about shepherd and sheep, uh, it's all throughout the Bible, but there's probably one passage more than any other that we have to go to. And we already read it off the top this morning, but I want to read it again from Psalm 23, this classic Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. I should probably plan and and probably will plan in the near future to do a whole series on Psalm 23 because there is so much in here. And so all I'm going to have time to do this morning is I want to draw three points out for you that come primarily from two of these verses. And there's going to be a lot in here that just in our time together now I'm not going to be able to hit. And I just want to acknowledge that off the top because there may be some things in here that you go, well, what about this and what about this? Just for time's sake, not gonna have time to hit it, but uh, I look forward to the day that we can sit in this psalm longer and even uh, uh, for weeks at, on end as, as God has so much in here for us. Let me give you a couple of things real quick before I give you my three points. Two, two resources that have been significant in my, prep, in my preparation this week uh, that I just want to recommend to you because they're so helpful and so good. The first one is this: there's a there's a devotional book called "While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks" uh, by Dr. Timothy Lanyak that uh, that I would recommend to you as a great resource uh, about just uh, leadership in the in the kingdom of God, but around this whole understanding of shepherding, of what does it look like to shepherd the flock, even as shepherds. Um, human shepherds in the world today. And along those veins, that same vein, Philip Keller wrote a classic book, probably close to 50 years ago, if not longer now, called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Many of you have read that book. Many of you are familiar with it. Maybe perhaps a generation is not as familiar uh, with that book as, as others are. Uh, but incredible insight into what is involved in a shepherd shepherding the sheep. And so I've Read through those this past week and and gleaned a lot. A lot of what you'll hear from me this morning is coming from those two resources, uh, among some other things, but wanted to make those available to you, at least in terms of knowing um, that they exist, and you can search them out on your own. But here's a couple things I want to give you this morning. First one is this. When you look at verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want Here's something I want you to think about. We fear, as we think about this continued theme in this series of fearing, we fear because we want. We fear because we want, and you say, okay, what's wrong with that? Of course, we have our wants. But we so very easily, so very easily confuse our wants with needs. And that word want, that phrase actually in that first verse The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That phrase, I shall not want, is actually one word in the Hebrew language, the original language of the Old Testament. And that word means, listen to this, it means to lack, to be without, to decrease, to be lacking, or to have a need. Okay, so understanding that, let's read that again, and this is how it can read. It can read, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be without, I shall not decrease, I shall not be lacking, I shall not have a need. Which makes me think, if you, if you know your Bibles and have some concept between the New Testament and the Old Testament, it makes me think of Jesus' teachings in Matthew 6 and Luke 12 where he's talking about not being anxious and not worrying uh, and, he, and he begins to give these pictures, these word pictures. He says, consider the lilies of the field and how they're arrayed in more splendor than even that of King Solomon and, and the birds of the air and how the Lord takes care of them. And if he's gonna clothe the lilies of the field and the birds of the air and give them everything that they need, how much more will he give you and me what we need? In the Luke passage where Jesus is teaching that, that passage actually ends with this verse verse 32 says fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom fear not little flock so this shepherding flock analogy still at play here where Jesus is saying hey fear not It is the Lord's, the Father's good pleasure to give you more than you actually ever find yourself wanting. Far beyond your wants is this great need that you and I have for something so much greater than we could ever dream or imagine. It's the kingdom of God. It's the king himself, King Jesus. And all that comes with his kingdom and that it's his pleasure to give that to us but we we confuse these wants and needs what's true of us what's true of my heart oftentimes is that i find myself discontent in unmet wants and oblivious to the met needs that i've received discontent in unmet wants yet oblivious at the same time to the various ways in which the lord has continually faithfully time and time and time again met my needs given me everything i've ever needed mostly namely himself but even in the way of provision and all the ways that i can fear he provides as my shepherd the lord is my shepherd i shall not want I shall not have a need. Here's a couple of questions that I want you to consider this this morning. The first one is this. What is a want that you have demanded from God that he's never promised to give you? What is a want that you have demanded or maybe you're continuing to demand from God that he's never promised that he'll give you that? But the second question is key. What is a need, perhaps needs, plural, that he has provided that you've refused to notice? We get so caught up in our wants that we miss his provision in our needs right before our very nose. Philip Keller, the writer of A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, tells a story of how there's, there was a sheep, a female sheep, a ewe, that was in his flock, led them over and over again to green pastures, lush green pastures, but this particular sheep kept escaping out of the fence to go into more barren land, absolutely convinced that what was outside of the fence was better than the needs that the shepherd had provided within the fence. And you know what he kept doing? He kept going out there, bringing her back in, putting her back in to where the green grass was, but this lamb, this lamb, this sheep, was headstrong, that there was a want out there that was better than the needs that had been provided here by the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Second thing we see in this, in this famous psalm from King David is we fear because we're restless. Look at verse 2. Too. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We fear because we're, we're just like sheep, we're restless. Listen to this from Keller. I love this paragraph. He says, the strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Because of the social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. So in summary, he says it is significant that to be at rest, there must be a definite sense of freedom from fear, tension, aggravations, and hunger. And like me, you, you see that and go, that's me. I am so restless when those things are present but here's the thing that David knew as a shepherd and here's the thing that our good shepherd knows that it's only it's only in the presence of the shepherd that sheep lie down it's only in the presence of the shepherd in some of these stories that I read from these two sources and it told story after story about how sheep were so anxious, so fearful, uh, just straying all over if the shepherd was not near. If the shepherd was having to go off to attend to maybe one stray sheep, or if the shepherd was dealing with perhaps an attacker, uh, whether it be a bear or a lion or a wolf or whatever it may be, the rest of the flock would fear and be incredibly restless. But when the shepherd was near, when the shepherd was caring intimately for the sheep, there was a rest that came over the flock. There was an ability to lie down. I love the language of verse two. That he makes me lie down. He doesn't suggest that I lie down. He doesn't implore me to lie down. He is my shepherd. And it's only in him and his good leading over me that I lie down. And he makes me do it. But I don't want you to miss something that's incredibly significant here. I want you to notice where he makes us lie down. And you say, well, it's right there in the passage. He says that he makes us lie down in green pastures. And immediately, us being visual people, we immediately think of some beautiful green lush meadow um, that, that comes to mind that we all would say, Let me take my shoes off and run through that meadow. There's nothing like fresh uh, green grass that's a little bit damp running through it in bare feet. But you got to remember, David's writing from a, a semi desert, arid Middle Eastern context. Those meadows are, are, are far and few between. In fact, uh, the sheep oftentimes would have to be led by the shepherd, uh, depending on the season, for up to possibly five months with no grass like that. Before, because of the rainy season, they would find a meadow that would be lush with grass. So you start realizing that there's, there's sometimes there's this leading that God takes us through through barren land before he makes us lie down in green pastures. But the question I want us to consider is when he does make us lie down, Where? Where is he making us lie down? It's not just this picture of a a green meadow. I want you to notice something in Scripture. If you turn to Jeremiah 50, you don't have to go there right now, but listen to this. In Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 6 and 7, God is speaking to his people, the Israelites, and he says this, My people have uh, have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. They wandered over mountain and hill, listen, and they forgot their own resting place. Whoever found them devoured them. Their enemies said, we are not guilty for they sinned against the Lord. Now listen to this. Don't miss this. This is huge. They sinned against the Lord, their verdant pasture, okay? Come back to that. The Lord, the hope of their ancestors. Now I don't think you and I are walking around every day saying verdant, And what does that word mean? That word means this. Listen to the definition. Green with grass or rich vegetation. So did you catch it? We are not guilty for they sinned against the Lord who is what? Who is their pasture? Their verdant pasture, their green and lush pasture. You read it in the ESV. That was the NIV that I read from. In the ESV translation it says for they have sinned against the Lord who is the habitation of righteousness. Meaning habitation is a word that can be translated meadow or dwelling or abode. So he's the dwelling, he's the meadow of righteousness, the green grass. So where do we lie down? He makes us lie down in him. He is the green pastures. He is the verdant pasture. He is the habitation of righteousness. When he causes us to experience the rest that he gives us, the need that we have, it's in him and only in him that we find the rest that we so long for. We want because we're restless, and he is the one. It's in him, our great green pasture, that we find the rest that we so long for. If you skip ahead, a couple of verses, I told you I wasn't gonna be able to hit everything in here. I want you to see one more thing. We fear because we resist. And What is it that we resist? We resist his rod and his staff. Every shepherd, you know the picture, you've seen it. Every shepherd that leads a flock, even if you don't know anything about shepherding, you know this. They Traditionally, they carry a staff that has a hook at the end, a, a crook, they would often call it. And what you may not know is they would also often have tucked into their belt in ancient times a rod. And this rod was a wooden rod that was usually shaped out of the root of a tree, where the bulb of the bush or the tree would be the end of the rod, and then you would windle it down, and you have a handle, and there might be some little rough spots coming out of it. And the the rod and the staff is what. With the two key elements of any shepherd. And the staff, the one that we're more familiar with, the staff was used to gently provide assistance to the sheep, to direct them to take the end of the staff, the straight end of the staff, and just give a little nudge to get them to go the direction that they need to go. Or if they're afraid to maybe walk through a little narrow pass that the shepherd is leading them through, just a little nudge from behind to direct them, to lead them. As you may know, and maybe just intuitively know, the crook end, the hook end of the staff was used to pick little lambs up and put them in the care of their mom as they would wander away. It was used to pull a branch down if that was needed. It was used to rescue sheep if they had fallen off the edge of a cliffside into a lower section. All kinds of ways in which the staff was used to care for the sheep. One of the authors I read said two of the most common messages God speaks to his people in the Bible are do not be afraid and I am with you. And the staff would represent both of those messages. But then you had the rod. The rod was, was a club, as I, as I mentioned, usually referred to as a rod, typically about half the size of a staff. It's probably what David used to when it talks in the scriptures as as he was shepherding and he would kill lions and and bears. He probably used the rod for that. But the rod was used, one of the great uses of the the rod is it was used for the nightly counting and inspection of the sheep. It was this process that would often happen with the shepherd where you take the rod and part of the rod that I said that would be almost used like a comb. You had these sheep that had the thick wool, and what would often happen with these sheep is that they would get parasites and ticks and all kinds of bugs down in their wool, and sometimes these would bed into the skin, and so the shepherd would have to come along, and every night he would take his rod, and he would count the sheep with the rod, but then he would also comb through the wool of these sheep, inspecting them seeing if there was an infestation, seeing what they might be dealing with. And it was an intimate process from the standpoint that the shepherd's hands were on the sheep, picking through the wool, caring intimately for what was happening to their skin or to their bodies. Oftentimes these parasites and ticks and whatnot would get into their ears and nasal passages and it would just drive them absolutely crazy and the shepherd would care for them by helping them remove these things, but he would see it all as, he, as they passed under his rod. So the rod was defensive in nature, but the rod was also a vessel of intimate care from the shepherd. Now I want you to see something real quick. I want you to notice. Ezekiel 20, 37, here's God talking to his people again. He says, and I will cause you to pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. This is what God does with his people. He inspects us, he sees us, which makes Psalm 139 all the more powerful when you consider David a shepherd king one who is foreshadowing a greater shepherd king to come. Listen to what he says. He says, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You're looking through the wool of my heart. You see it all. Then he says this. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in. And there's no doubt in my mind that David is thinking of a flock right here, a shepherd and his sheep. Because listen to what he says. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Here's what I think David's doing right here. He's, He's thinking about the God of the universe who knows all things being so intimately close that he's sifting through the wool of our hearts, so to speak, and he sees it all. He sees the parasites. He sees the ticks. He sees the dirt. He sees the filth, and he gets into it and he deals with it and he cleanses us and he brushes us and do you notice that when Jesus shows up onto the scene and he's conducting his ministry and he begins healing people and he performs miracles he could have just said a word and it could have happened but what does he do he touches over and over again he comes near and he lays hand on the on, on the on the sheep on the person that he's healing Because he is a near and intimate shepherd. Who is it that is our shepherd? We haven't talked specifically yet. I've I've said God is our shepherd, but most specifically, who is our shepherd? What does John 10 tell us? The very words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. But who is Jesus? He's not this shepherd who who just defends with a rod or combs with a rod or rescues with a staff or prods or directs with a staff. He does all those things. But he redeems with a cross. Because in the very next breath, he says, I am the good shepherd. And in the very next breath, he says, and I lay my life down for the sheep. He doesn't just provide our needs. He doesn't just give us rest. He is our rest. He is our provision. He doesn't just defend. He redeems. I started out by saying that we we underestimate who we are. I'm sorry, we overestimate who we are and we underestimate who God is. But I wanna flip that for a second. For those who are followers of Christ, I want you to hear me. And I know know I'm looking into a camera right now, but I I wanna look straight at you. And I want you to hear this. Follower of Jesus, hear this. You and I are guilty, yes, of overestimating who we are. We try to bring too much to the table. We try to be the shepherd. But you know what else we do? We underestimate who we are. Because we'll sit here and say, I'm just a dumb sheep. I just can't do anything right. I just can't get it together. But you know what the gospel tells us? This Jesus who laid his life down for the sheep, it's in him and it's in his righteousness, in his finished work for us, That he tells us, you're not dumb sheep. You're children of the God Most High. You're a son and daughter of the King. I have redeemed you not just to be a sheep in the flock, but I have redeemed you to be. A son and a daughter, the recipient of all my inheritance, that whatever is mine, Jesus says, is yours. And my perfect record is your perfect record. And my full acceptance in the presence of of the Father is your full acceptance in the presence of the Father. And the way that he looks upon me with nothing but love and joy, he looks upon you with the same thing. God didn't have to give us adoption but he did. You and I are sons and daughters of the shepherd king who cares for us better than you and I could ever imagine and who one day will bring us home into his flock for all of eternity. Listen to these words as I close here from Dane Ortland. I love this quote. He says this, See if we can have it on the screen. He says, for those united to him, the heart of Jesus is not a rental. It is your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant. You are a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurances of his present presence and comfort. Whatever our present spiritual accomplishments, it is who he is. Praise be to God. Father, thank you for who you are. Our shepherd, our good shepherd, oh Jesus. We give you praise and thanks that you give us the rest that we so long for, that you give us every need that we could have is found in you. Father, forgive us as we resist your rod and your staff. Forgive us as we, we seek to try to fight to be the shepherd of our own lives, but Lord, we thank you. We thank you and we trust you that you are the one that our hearts need. May we find our hope, our rest, our joy, our life and you, our good shepherd, Jesus. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast.